0: Hello and welcome to Romance Aloud, celebrating 60 years at the Romantic Novelist Association in the UK. I'm Ian Skillicorn and in this special podcast series I'll be talking to RNA members about their own books and the authors from the association's 60 year history whose work means the most to them. For this episode, I'm delighted to be joined by best-selling author of historical and dual timeline fiction, Nicola Cornick. Hi Nicola. Before you tell us which RNA author you've chosen for the podcast, let's talk a bit about you and your writing. I know you've had a lifelong interest in history, but do you remember exactly how and when it came about?
1: Oh, uh, yes. That's quite a difficult question because it feels as though it's always been there. It must have started somehow. And, And it's interesting because actually, although... Um, I come from a family that's interested in history. There was nobody specifically who, you know, went to stately homes or who was a historian or anything. So in a way, it was felt as though history was my thing. And I got into it when I was very young and I've just been passionate about history ever since. I think partly I did have a very inspiring history teacher at school. She was just amazing, Mrs. charry Um, And she told history-like stories so that you felt completely sort of engrossed in the the tales that you were hearing. And I'm sure that had a huge influence on me.
0: Well, that just goes to show the impact a good teacher can have on your life, doesn't it?
1: Yes. I mean, I was probably about 11 when, um, when she became my history teacher. And I was just at that age when I was also starting to read historical fiction, which I'd found in my I'm in my grandmother's wardrobe, at the back of the wardrobe, amongst all her lavender bags, were all her books of um, historical fiction and um and her romance books as well. So the two things kind of came together, really. So yes, having a great teacher and being a big reader, of course, as well. I was an only child, so I was uh, I was the, the, the sort of classic only child sitting in the corner reading lots of books on her own and being completely happy about that. So uh, yeah, those things kind of I think were what started me off, really.
0: Well, your writing career began at Harlequin Mills and Boone. Can you tell us more about how you got started
1: as a published writer? Yes, well, it was um I was never one of those people who said I always wanted to be a writer. I started writing when I was in my teens because i 'd run through every single Harlequin. Um, I think they were called masquerade historical romances in those days. I'd found them in my local library and I couldn't understand why people weren't writing them fast enough to keep up with my demand for them, really. Uh, I didn't really understand how, how that process worked at that age. So I thought, well, I'll write one of these myself. And of course, I'd, I'd kind of grown up on Georgia Hayes' Regency romances as well. Uh, those, there was a huge pile of those in my grandmother's cupboard. So I thought, how hard can this be? So I sat down to do that at about the age of 18. And um, well, I was writing as a hobby, I suppose. And I wasn't really thinking about uh, wanting to be published. But by the time I'd finished the book, when I was in my 20s, I um I thought well I'll send this off to Mills and Boon um, and 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 hopefully they'll publish it. Well, not surprisingly it wasn't as easy as that. So I sent it in and after about a year uh, I had a rejection letter from them two lines and it just said there's too much intrigue in this book and not enough romance, which is something which I think has come back come back to me later in my career but anyway but uh, so I thought oh well I put it on one side and I didn't think about it probably about 2 years because I was really busy doing other things and you know, working and moving house and getting married and all the rest of it. Um, then I picked it up again. And I think something had changed then. I was really determined at that point that I was going to get published. So I revised it. I took out a bit of intrigue and put in more romance. And I uh, and sent it in again and they sent it back again, <laughs> rejected it for a second time, but with a much longer rejection letter this time, a whole page and a half of suggestions. And I think that was the moment when I thought, I can actually do this. Uh, and after that, nothing would have stopped me kind of revising that that first book to get it accepted. Having said that, it took 12 years from when I first started writing it to when they published True Colours, which was my, my first Regency book.
0: So the message to aspiring authors really is don't give up.
1: Yes, don't give up, even if you put aside a particular manuscript and then work on something else and come back to it. I mean, I didn't do that, actually. I just kept on rewriting the same book over and over again, which I would never recommend anyone else to do. But I I didn't know anything, you see. I was just purely learning from reading, I suppose, and from just trial and error. So I was just kind of doing it on on my own Um, but I did get there in the end and that's the thing I think yes keep trying don't give up and do believe that you can do it is is what I say to people because you have to have that self-belief to keep going.
0: Absolutely well if we talk about your dual timeline novels how do you actually like to refer to them dual timeline or dual time frame because it's not really time slip is it?
1: no (laughs) uh, They're difficult books to categorise, I think. Um, They are time slip and time travel in the sense that they do have some of those fantasy uh, elements. Um, They do exist in two or three. In fact, my first one was three different timelines, as is one that I've just finished. So I tend to call them dual time historical mysteries. Um, But that doesn't really kind of cover all the different elements that are in there.
0: And what is it about that genre that attracts you as a writer?
1: Um, I think, um, again, it was an interest of mine that started off so early, I can remember reading A Traveller in Time by Alison Utley and various other children's dual timeline books. The whole concept of travelling back in time in order to experience for yourself the history that you're interested in or that you're writing about, it's just such an appealing Thought to me such an appealing concept of being able to do that, provided, of course, that you could come back again. The older I get, the more I realise how important it would be that if you ever did get the chance to time travel, you simply have to be able to come back because I don't think I could cope living permanently in the past. But anyway, uh, so that started again when I when when I was a child, and I just absolutely love that idea. So, of course, you know, books like um, Catherine by Anna Seaton and. Barbara Erskine's um, dual time books and so on. They were the ones that that got me into that genre. And I think I've just, I never, I never really left that. I always wanted to write it. Even when I was uh, writing the Regency books, I still wanted one day to write a a dual time novel. So it's great now. I'm very, very happy I'm able to do that.
0: And I suppose if you've got a passion for history, and I know you do volunteer work for the National Trust as well, you're almost living a time slip life anyway, aren't you?
1: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yes, as close to one as you can, I think. That's, that's very true, actually. Because if you have a powerful imagination as a reader or a writer, I think you can walk into places like Ashdown House, where, where I work. Um, and you can actually feel as though you are stepping back into time to whichever period you want, really. It's an incredibly powerful sort of, uh, tool of the imagination. Uh, And obviously, I absolutely love that. So yes, I I think there are people who would say that I am living in the past, most definitely.
0: (laughs) Well, your books are set in earlier centuries, the 16th, 17th, 18th centuries. What is it about those periods that so interests you? And do you have a favourite among them?
1: Hmm. I mean, I have got a particular fascination for the 17th century, which has grown as a result of working at Ashdown. Um, I love the the whole sort of idea of writing about a period that was so tumultuous, the, the English Civil War and the Restoration period. Um, and that has obviously been encouraged by having that atmosphere all around me when I'm at Ashdown. My first love was actually the Tudor period. Uh, I think a lot of people, um, Tudor first, then Regency and, and then 17th century. Um, but uh, I've gone back to my to my Tudor roots now, with um, with my latest book. So, uh, yes, I mean, I th- I think that was always an early passion, and uh, and that's never left me.
0: Now, can you tell us which author have you chosen to talk about for RNA sixty, and why did you choose her?
1: Yes, I've chosen Mary Stewart, one of my all time favourite authors, and of course a a long time member of of the RNA, and such a very beautiful writer. It's not an obvious choice necessarily for a a historical author I think but I learned such a lot from reading her books and of course she wrote um she well she wrote historical fantasy I suppose in her Arthurian books The Crystal Cave and The Hollow Hills and those were the first ones the first books of hers I read actually I came to her via those books rather than the romantic suspense Um, but then I read my way through all of her romantic suspense books and was completely hooked
0: that's interesting. So you actually started with the Merlin books rather than the romantic suspense.
1: Mm. Yes, absolutely. So uh, yes, yeah, so, so I started with the Merlin books and in fact, with the second one of those. And I was grabbed both by, I think, the way she created characters because she she's so good at creating very different, but very, very real and well-rounded characters that even today, you know, some of her books, some of her romantic suspense books can, can be a bit dated in the sense that uh, everybody's Smoking Like Chimneys, for example, but that doesn't actually affect the the timeless quality of them. And her characters are, are amazing. But I think that for me, the strongest thing, and she shares this with other authors who I admire, like Daphne du Maurier and Barbara Erskine, this idea of how they create those uh, historical or fantasy or just other worlds, that the vividness of the atmosphere um, is something that I've always tried to emulate because I learned that from reading those authors and I think that they're masterly at it.
0: Obviously, the Merlin books are set in a much earlier time period than Mary Stewart's romantic suspense and the periods that you write about. Was the King Arthur legend and that era something you were already interested in?
1: Uh, Yes, I love the King Arthur legends. I love all legends. In fact, when I did some of my historical studies, I was actually studying folklore, legends and myths. Um, And so anything like, King Arthur um, and, and and the things that I write about now as well, these really powerful um, stories that, that people can identify with absolutely fascinate me. So I think that's how it, it grabbed me in the first place because the King Arthur story is such a a huge, powerful story that, and the way you can interpret it, you can keep reading and writing about it in so many different ways. It's it's never going to lose its fascination.
0: If we think about the romantic suspense novels what would you describe as the essential ingredients in a Mary Stewart book?
1: Okay. Um, uh, Well, first of all, I think, uh, well, she always has a killer first line, hasn't she? I love the first lines of her books. They almost always grab you straight away and drag you into the story. Uh, Again, there's a lot to learn there. So, you know, a book like The Gabriel Hound's I met him in the street called Straight, and I'm immediately there thinking, "Okay, who is he, and where's this street?" And it sounds very exciting. So she kicks it all off at a cracking pace. She writes very exciting plots. I think you sort of get get a, a very exciting story. It's really uh, it doesn't let you go. Um, I love her characters, as I as I mentioned, and and the atmosphere. I mean. Some of the books she sets in Greece, for example, I'd never been there when I read those books, but I could totally feel what it would be like to be in in that that sort of climate, the heat and and the dryness of the the countryside. And and it's just so vivid. The books sort of crackle with life. So, yes, it it doesn't seem to matter whether she's writing about the Scottish Highlands or Greece or, or, or even Arthurian Legends. She's just got that terrific skill for creating that atmosphere, and I think that's a hallmark of all of her books.
0: Now, I saw an online interview with Mary Stewart talking about her books, and she said that she was interested in natural beauty, and then you shove a few people in and they can get on with it. How important do you think the settings like Corfu, Provence, are in a Mary Stewart novel?
1: (laughs) I hadn't heard that uh, quote, and I mean, I think she's underplaying what she does slightly there. I think, um, yes, I mean, I think the settings are incredibly important. I mean, and for me as a writer, you see, again, I took that from her. Um, I think of setting as a character, really. And I think in Mary Stewart's books, the setting is very much a character. As It's got so much to say, so much to add to the story. And, you know, when I think about her books, I tend to think of them in that way. You know, this one's set in France and you can feel the heat of the south of France kind of thing. Or well, this is in the Scottish Highlands and it's all very bleak. And, and that fits the elements of suspense in the story as well. I think, um, she uses it so well to sort of, she uses setting really well to emphasize the suspense and the mystery elements of the story. It's just so clever. I'm, I'm kind of in awe when I think about how cleverly she does it, but also how beautifully it just all comes together
0: do you have a favorite mary stewart heroine
1: oh <laughs> that's such a hard choice um i suppose i do like charity in madam will you talk because she's such a a very practical sensible woman and she drives a fast car which i absolutely love i do love the fact that um, mary stewart's heroines are that they're very they're they're very together most of them you know they're, they're kind of they're, they're good, strong women. And I think that's admirable. Uh, so I really, really like her. So she's probably my favourite, but it's, it's it's always hard to choose with, with Mary Stewart. I think uh, I, I just, I, d- I do love all of her books. I've got all of them on my keeper shelf even now, and they're so tatty. So you, you never like to have to choose between your favourites, do you?
0: <laughs> yeah, I suppose it's a bit like asking someone to choose their favourite child, Actually, what about the children's books? Have you read them as well? And would you recommend them or buy one for a child today?
1: Well, no. In fact, I only came across those very recently and I felt really stupid for not having discovered them sooner. So I actually have that as a, a treat, if you like. Um, in fact, somebody mentioned it to me not very long ago at all that I almost fell off my chair. How did I miss that? So that's something I'm looking forward to.
0: Yeah, I think that's lovely, isn't it, to have read a favourite author's body of work and know there's no more to come and then discover that actually you've missed something. So that's quite a nice surprise.
1: Oh, it's such a it's so exciting. Yes, I mean that that to me was amazing. It was almost like when I first started collecting all her books, it was almost impossible to get hold of The novella The Wind off the Small Islands. Um and, and I can remember how excited I was when I finally got a copy of that. Well, I feel like that now, knowing that there's something else new to be discovered that I didn't know about. So, yeah, it's fantastic.
0: You mentioned earlier that Mary Stewart had a long association with the RNA. Can you tell us some more about that?
1: Yes. Well, because um, I'm now um, I'm now the, the RNA archivist, of course. So I'm very lucky I've got access to sort of all the historical records and uh, and documents. So I've, I've been going through um, sort of the uh, connections that Mary Stewart had to the RNA. Um, and of course, I I, I didn't realise that again when I joined. So yes, I mean, and obviously she was um, still writing and still alive for quite a long time. That I was a member of the organisation as well. Uh, I only wish I'd been able to go to the special event that they held in um, in, in Edinburgh when they gave her the the outstanding achievement award. But I think it's interesting reading through the old sort of magazines and things that she was always a big star, uh, almost kind of right from the start. There were a few people who were successful when the organization was set up where they were already bestsellers in America. And then they were also a part of the RNA. So yes, I mean, I've, I've read some things that kind of singled her out, even, you know, back in the, back in the 1960s and 70s. Uh, she was already one of the big names of the organisation even then,
0: and she did do very well in America, didn't she?
1: She did, yes. And again, I think she was the inspiration for some very successful US um, and Canadian authors of, of time slip books, like Susanna Kersley. Um, so her her kind of um, influence has spread over there as well. And of course, there's such a love of British history. Um, amongst, uh, the US readers uh, and a love of time, uh, well, dual time novels as well. And obviously her, um, her romantic suspense. I mean, she has had such an enormous influence. It's really hard to, to sort of assess, uh, quite how, how strong that is and how incredibly popular she still is. Of course, when all the books were reissued not that long ago, so many readers were just thrilled because, of course, we hadn't been able to get hold of copies of her, her work for a while. Um, and she's still enormously popular now,
0: and did you ever get to meet her
1: i didn't and and in some ways, I'm sorry about that um and in others, I don't know I mean sometimes, if you have a particular idea of of what an author might be like from reading their books, which could be completely erroneous of course um and you don't want to have that um that spoil do you it's It's the old thing about not meeting your heroes, so a part of me thinks that um that, that's fine because I can preserve my my sort of thoughts and feelings about Mary Stuart and her writing quite happily as they are without them being influenced in anyway by having actually met her so um so I think that I think that's fair enough but um I, I do wish I had had the chance just to tell her what an amazing author I thought she was and how much I've appreciated her writing
0: well for anyone who's never read a Mary Stewart novel, which one would you recommend they read first
1: oh um <laughs> Um, oh, gosh. Well, Madam Will You Talk was her first, wasn't it? Her first romantic suspense. And I do think that that is a good one to start with. It was actually the first one of the, of the romantic suspense books that I started with. Nine Coaches Waiting, uh, if you like sort of fairy tale uh, romances, is, is another one that um, that people speak very highly of. But everybody has their own favourites. You know, some of the ones that I would say are more difficult to get into, other people have said, oh, no, that's that's my favourite book. I mean, I think that's the pleasure of it. Pick one of them and and see how you how you get on. But I I would always recommend, Madam, would you talk as the uh, as as the way to get in, um, uh, and then just like me, read every other one that you can get your hands on.
0: <laughs> well, to finish, if we can go back to you and the influence that the RNA has had on you. You're a former chairman of the RNA, and you mentioned earlier you're now the association's archivist. Could you tell us how you got involved in the Romantic Novelist Association in the first place and what it means to you?
1: Yes, it was actually my first editor at Mills and Boone who said to me, "Um, are you a member of the RNA? And I looked at her blankly and said, no, I don't know anything about it. And I'm so glad that she mentioned it to me because of course, uh, as soon as she did, I went off and joined up and found this community of of, of authors um, who were just... It it was great. You know, I'm sure lots of people say this. You kind of find your tribe and you feel, oh, there are people who understand how I feel about books and reading and writing. And there are people I can talk to about it. And I found that through the whole 20 plus years that I've been a member of the RNA. It is um, it has been for me the warmest and most friendly and supportive organization and it does it does great things, which was why I wanted to give some of my time to support what it does and, um, you know, and, and why I, I, I will always support the RNA because I think it, it's a wonderful way of bringing us together in our appreciation of reading uh, romantic fiction in all its breadth, uh, but also of uh, helping each other out with so much experience and advice and support. So, yeah, it's fantastic to be celebrating its diamond anniversary.
0: It certainly is. Nicola Cornick, thanks very much. It's been really nice to talk to you about your writing and, of course, the work of your RNA60 choice, Mary Stewart.
1: Thank you. It's been great.
0: And dear listener, thanks to you too for listening. Join me again soon for another episode of Romance Aloud, celebrating 60 years of the Romantic Novelists Association. Don't forget to subscribe to the show wherever you listen to your podcasts. And if you've enjoyed this episode, we'd be really grateful if you could leave us a positive review. To find out more about the Romantic Novelists Association, go to romanticnovelistsassociation.org. The show notes for this episode, with more information about Nicola Cornick and Mary Stewart, can be found at windhamaudiocom forward slash RNA. That's Wyndham, W-Y-N-D-H-A-M, audio.com forward slash RNA. Take care, and I hope you'll join me again next time.
1: 谢谢